What is the power of categories in everyday life and also in scholarly practice? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Cesar Jimenez Martinez in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with us today Cesar Jimenez Martinez. Cesar is lecturer in global media and communications at Cardiff University in Wales. He did his undergraduate studies in journalism at Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile. Then he did a master's degree in global media communications jointly between the London School of Economics and Political Science and the University of Southern California in the US, followed by a PhD in media and communications at the LSC as well. Before joining Cardiff in 2019, he was um, on various roles, first at Brunel University and then at Loughborough University, both in England. He has received a number of awards. Uh, he is the author of uh, one book, co-editor of another one, and has a new book under contract with Rutledge called Nation Branding in the Americas. He's also the special issue editor of a number of special issues at journals and has published uh, very, very widely in uh, journal articles and in book chapters on a number of issues having to do with global media and communication. Cesar, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thanks very much, Pablo, for the invitation. Thank you for accepting our invitation. It truly is a pleasure to have you with us today. So, so tell me, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? Well, I'm definitely an accidental academic. So if you had met me 12 years ago, I would have told you I had no interest in doing a PhD at all. So it was pure, yeah, a series of random acts. Um, my undergrad was in journalism in Chile. And, and I work like around seven years as a journalist in Chile uh, in a newspaper and then a bit in, in television, like doing production behind the cameras. Um, then at some point I, I moved to, to the dark side and I work in PR for a bit most in, in nation branding projects for Chile. Um, but at some point, uh, I really wanted to have the experience of studying abroad. 
So that's what I did a master's. But my original plan was I'm going to do a master's course abroad and then return to Chile and, 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 and carry on working. That's it. However, when I started doing the master's, I became more and more fascinated by, by thinking about things, you know, by reflecting on things that I never, never ever reflected. And, and then I was very lucky because when, when I was doing my master's, the story of the rescue of the Chilean miners happened. And, and my professors pushed me to write a, a master's thesis about it. And I did that and they really like it. And then they asked me, so what are you going to do afterwards? What are you planning to do? And then they wooed me and I ended up doing a PhD and yeah, that's how I started becoming in, in, in yeah, getting into the world of academia. Very interesting. How did you, why, why did you choose and how did you choose the program, the joint program between USC and uh, the London School of Economics? Um, how was that process and how was the process of leaving Chile? Um, well, the choosing the program was was tough because um, I'm like I journalism at least in Chile. It's uh, I don't know now, but at least when I studied, it was a much more practically oriented uh, degree. So we had some theoretical courses, especially in the first year and second year, but it was much more a degree of how to do things. So I didn't have any academic idols, you know, uh, other than some of them that appear like, for instance, when, when, when I met some Latin Americans in, in the UK who have studied uh, sociology or anthropology and they come to the LSE or to the university, sometimes they come like, oh, I really want to study with this professor. I didn't have any of that. Uh, I had heard, however, of, about the universities. I had heard about LSE. I had heard about USC. And, um, the program sounds very attractive uh, because of the cities, because of the universities. Also, I had never been to the United States before. So for me, that was also a chance of, of living in the US for, for, for a bit and li living in the UK. And, and that's what, what attracted me. But uh, th there wasn't that much an academic thought behind it. It was much more like something from the experience and, and try to learn something. So I never thought that I would end up becoming an academic after doing that. Very interesting. And then your program, if I understand this correctly, your, your master's program split the time, splits the time between the two universities, the two cities, the two countries. Yes. Um, could you comment a little bit about your experience taking classes and participating in general academic university life at USC and at the LSE? Yeah, the experiences were very, very different on, on, on so many levels. The first year was at the LSE, and uh, it was my first time living in an English-speaking country. So I remember that the first month I was totally lost. Like I was like, I'm going to fail this master's. I don't know how I'm going to do it, etc. But also there was the whole thing of content, because I, for the first time I was hearing words like Foucault, Bourdieu, you know, uh, Silverstone. I, I had only heard about Marshall McLuhan because it's very popular, but I really didn't have a background in social theory or anything, and um, and, and and that was very very difficult. 
And, and then the experiences of both cities and both universities were radically different. So I, I, I cannot think of, of, uh, of two universities that cannot be as different as USC and DLSC on, 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 on every level. Um, administratively speaking, they were different. Uh, in terms of the contents, they were different. And that's why they complement so well each other in the program. And also the cities are radically different. So I don't drive, for instance. So I ended up living in Los Angeles without a car, which was a very interesting experience, which I value a lot, but it was very different to, to living in London. Also the weather was, was very different from being in, in a London that is continuously great to being in sunny California. So that that, that was interesting, but 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 I really value because it, it um, both years introduced me to, to themes I ended up becoming fascinated about. They showed me names of authors I'm fascinated about. And, and also in both institutions, I learned some soft skills that, that over time have, have been interesting for, for academia. So yeah, it was a great experience overall. What, what kinds of skills? Like for instance, I remember um, when at some point I was writing a literature review in, uh, at USC and my, my, my supervisor at USC read it and said like, look, this is very interesting, but you have been very, very harsh with the people you are, you are criticizing and take into account that maybe one of them could read you. So, and, and that was something very important. And also USC was very good at focusing not only on content, but also on how to communicate things. Okay, so never forget the audience. And that tap into my previous experience in journalism, which I feel that sometimes European academia tends to forget that, it focuses so much on the content that tends to forget that, that at the end of the day, if we're writing, if we're speaking, it's because we also want to be understood, we want to, to spread some of our ideas. Okay, um, and thinking as a Latin American, um, what, how do the two differences compare, London versus LA, right? From a, from a particular Latin American experience, would you say there are any um, differences in your experience of how you were, your identity was reflected, um, the kinds of interactions that you had, the topics uh, that you came across, etc.? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I feel that in both years was when I started to feel Latin American. So uh, coming from Chile, Chile is, is, is a country that like, uh, I don't know if in Argentina is the same, but, but has, Chile has a very problematic relationship with Latin America in terms of like that quite often we feel that we're not really Latin Americans. We don't necessarily voice it, but that is implied. It's kind of like we have nothing to do with the other guys. We're not tropical, we don't dance uh, salsa or samba, you know, we're kind of like the serious guys, the ones who used to have the good economy and so on and so on. So that, that was kind of like the, the environment in, in which I grew up. And, and, and quite often the narratives that you're fed up as a Chilean is very much of how different you are from Latin America. So that, that saying that we had, we had like, we are the English of Latin America and all those things and so on and so on. Uh, it was however very interesting when I was in London, and naturally, sometimes start to hang out with other Latin Americans, originally because of a matter of language, because it was so tiring speaking English the whole time that I drawn into like, oh, I can speak Spanish for a bit. And it was very interesting to start realizing how similar we were. 
Granted, there were some differences in food, in accents and so on, but in that context, you, you start feeling that actually have quite a, a lot in common with the Colombian, with an Argentinian, with a Mexican, in terms of the songs that we knew, in terms of the popular culture, movies, but also some of the experiences that we have. So we could talk about colonization, the Spaniards, but also the corruption in governments or other things, etc. the weather. So that was the first time in which I started to feel uh, as a Latin American. And then in the United States was, was very interesting because I was put into the box of being a Latino, but I really didn't feel a Latino. I felt I was related. I felt I was kind of like a, a cousin, you know, and, but, but, but I feel that, uh, especially when, when white Americans put me in that box and, and, and they thought that basically we all had the same experiences. So that, that was very interesting because I could feel that there were some experiences where were close or similar or there was a language, but we were not exactly the same. And, and, and I found that very illuminating. Um, let's stay on this for a moment. Um, why didn't you feel like a Latino? Where would you locate the difference? I think that it's, it's not so much something about Latin Americans, but it was much more like the box Latino that was put on me from the American perspective, which by the way, is the same thing with the concept of the, of the global South, for instance. I had no idea I was from the global South until I moved to London. And then I was told that I was from the global South and that I represented the global South or anything. So it was something like that. And, um, and I think that it's because I was considered the same as many people who had been born in the United States, but who had, for instance, Mexican parents and were seen kind of like part of the same thing, okay? Or for instance, when I was originally looking for a house in Los Angeles, I remember someone who told me, oh yeah, uh, uh, you can rent a room here and there is a Mexican supermarket around the corner. So I'm sure that you can find all the food that you need there. And I was like, no, actually I like Mexican food, but Chilean food is not the same as Mexican food. So in, in, in that way, I started to, to, to feel that, that there was some closeness, but we were not exactly the same. And, 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 and something like that has happened also in, 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 in academia. So it's not uh, weird that sometimes you attend a conference and, and you're put in the Latin American panel just because you are from Latin America. And sometimes, and, and worse, sometimes you're put in the Global South panel, even though they, there is no commonality in themes. So there is, there is something that, that, that happens there too, to some extent. And what do you think about those processes? What do you think about, you know, are there any pros? Are there any cons? Um, especially in, uh, within the academic environment, both in, in universities or in conference journals, etc. I, I definitely have mixed feelings. I mean, um, on, on one hand, I could start a rant right now and, and, and give perhaps some really good arguments about how that shows the, the hierarchies of academia and, and, and that's correct. And many people have, have dwelled on that. But also when I become 
reflexive. I wouldn't do that to an American academic or to a Western European academic. But for instance, if I was organizing a conference about Africa, I would be very ignorant about it. And probably 10 years ago, I would have put everyone together in the same box, you know? I think that now I'm much more sensitive to that, but I, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of, of also putting the blame on, on the so-called global north of the West and so on, even though I think it, it needs to be criticized. But, um, but, but, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that deserves to be criticized, but not demonized. I think it's very easy to, to demonize it and, and it's very easy to fall into the other extreme and, 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 and also that, that kind of like uh, ends up making critics quite shallow in my view. Super. Um, and then talking about the other side of the coin, you alluded to the notion of the global south, of discovering that you are coming from the global south um, when you went to the global north, so to speak. Um, the notion of the global south has become very popular, um, but also quite contested. Um, what are your views about uh, the use of uh, this notion and the circulation of the ideas around it in academia, in particular in communication and media studies? I am quite conflicted about it. I mean, I have, I have used it sometimes in the same way that sometimes I use non-West. Um, but the more, think, the more I think about it, the more for me it's kind of like a polite way of saying the third world. You know, it's kind of like, well, we're gonna say the third world anymore. Let's call it the non-West or the global south. And and on one hand, when you're writing a short article, uh, seven thousand words, and you really cannot get into all possible nuances, okay, you use it. But um, but it's 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 as problematic as the West, which I've also used it. And sometimes I write about the West, Western viewpoints, and so on. But but um, um, my sister lives in Spain, for instance, and, and she has a completely different vision of Europe than the one that I have uh, living in the UK, you know? So it's, uh, um, are categories that by definition are imperfect and we need to question. And I think that we can use them for a while until we find a better concept. And, 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 and obviously we need to be wary of, of, of of the power that categories can have. I, I think that, um, I think what, what I find problematic is when those categories become unmovable, when, when they become stamped and we cannot fight them. And also the, 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 the other problems are the, the hierarchies implied there, kind of like the global south. It's, it still implies that there is it's missing something, you know, the, the, there is still that thing that, even though if, if it's not explicitly state that there's still, it tends to perpetuate some hierarchies, you know, that, that go beyond academia and in the world about the, the imperfect nations looking at the perfect ones in Europe or the United States trying to become more like them. And I think that is, I don't have any theories or any concept to propose instead, but I think it's healthy and, and it's good that we're questioning them and that they, we wonder what we could use instead. Okay. Now going back, you know, to earlier parts of our um, ongoing conversation, 
you are wrapping up your master's degree with a second year in LA. Um, you make a decision that you want to go for a PhD. You ended up at the LSE. Did you consider other options? I thought, I mean, I thought of the possibility of the United States, uh, but there was one other practical thing that I don't drive. And, and that kind of like, pushed me like, okay, I can be one year in a city without driving, but four or five years now. And, and then I, I look at other places uh, and I, I had a look at places in, in Hamburg because they had a program in English. Um, also in, I, I thought of the possibility of maybe R who's in Denmark but ended up uh, being accepted at the LSE. And, and I kind of like knew the, the professors who ended up being my supervisor. And, and that's why I, I moved back to London. And, and, and also like a lot of the city, so that that was make things easier. How was then your experience as a PhD student, which is very different sometimes at least from the experience as a master's student um, at the LSE in London, in Europe, um, you were already then on, on a career path to become a professor, uh, or at least opening and, and deepening that possibility. How were the PhD years for you? Oh, it, it was very, very different from the masters. Very, very different on, on so many levels. I think that on one hand, the, I really didn't feel that much the imposter syndrome while doing the masters, you know, because it was very much a feeling of, I think that most of my classmates in the masters they did not want to become academics mm -hmm. there were people in industry and and we all feel that we were learning and and we did we assumed that we didn't know about things but in the phd i felt that well first most of the people that i was doing the phd with which was a small cohort were like five i think in my year five or six um most of them had uh predominantly being in academia. So first they were younger than me. And also their undergraduate degrees had been in, our masters have been in sociology, anthropology, social psychology, etc. So I, I remember like going for a beer to the pub afterwards and they were capable of engaging in conversations about yeah, whether the early Foucault is different to the late Foucault or, or they had clarity about the projects and so on. And I was feeling a total fraud. And, and, and I still feel that there are some basic things of, of social theory that, that, that I didn't know. Um, but um, what I found interesting was like on, on the second year of the PhD was the first time that randomly I started to be exposed to, to Latin American uh, writers, first in English. And that was the very first time that I became conscious that, that, that th there was, also an important work of, of, of authors in, from Latin America that by the way, I'm still starting to discover. And so that, that was kind of like the first, like before that, I was happy to be colonized, like intellectually, kind of like give me Habermas, give me everything, give me everything that comes from Europe. I'm happily going to embrace it. And I'm going to try to apply it to cases in Latin America. But then by talking to other people more experienced than me, they also started pushing me and telling me, well, maybe those theories do not necessarily fit with your places. And, and maybe there are other theories that you can come up with, or maybe there are other things that, that can fit better, those things. Or maybe you can respond to those dominant theories from your perspective. 
And that's something that I started to find much more interesting and, and, and fascinating. And then, so how many years was your PhD? So it was like four and a half years. Yeah. Okay. And four and a half years in which in every conference that I went to, I had to explain that I was not Brazilian because I, I wrote my, my PhD dissertation about Brazil. Um, and, and, and every time I appeared, they, they assumed that I was from Brazil. Non-Latin Americans always assumed that. And always had to say, no, I'm from Chile. And they were like, but why do you study uh, Brazil? Why you don't study Chile? And, and it was interesting because I, they never say it directly, but I feel that the implication is that if you are from Latin America or other places and you're studying abroad, you're supposed to be doing that to, to kind of like save your nation. And that's why you, you, you need to study where you come from. And, and, and also when, when, when doing, while doing my field work in Brazil, it was also very interesting because it put me like in a, in a different viewpoint because uh, some of the people that I knew had had the experience of being interviewed either by a Brazilian or by a Brazilianist, was usually an American scholar who dedicates his life to Brazil and so on. But very rarely they were interviewed by other Latin America from, from academia. And that led to a sort of interesting complicity, you know, and kind of like if we were talking about things that were not working in Brazil, they told me, oh, I imagine that maybe in Chile is the same and we were talking about that. So it, it was, it was a, a slightly different viewpoint than someone coming from the United States or, or Europe. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, so it's like a third position. You yes. are not a native, you are not a typical foreigner. Um, you are like a, an atypical other, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. How did that impact your research, you think? Or did that impact your research? Oh, definitely. I think that not only my research, but also other things. I think that the first thing was that I started reading more about Brazil and then I realized how ignorant about Latin America I, I was and I still am. Um, had history uh, courses in Chile, but they were mostly about history of, of uh, uh, Europe and the United States and history of, of Chile. But I really didn't know anything about other Latin American countries. And, 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 and studying about Brazil pushed me to start reading also a little bit about Mexico and also reading about Chile, but from a perspective of scholars from abroad to try to, to have different viewpoints. So that's, I feel that by being abroad, I started to become a little bit more Latin American. You know, I cannot claim that I'm a Latin Americanist or no, you put me in a Latin American conference and I feel very ignorant of conversations of everything, but, but I feel that I, I started to, to become more reflective of that. And also by reading about Brazil, being a Chilean, I, I started to find like connections or similarities or sometimes differences with the, with, with the neighboring country where I found it, I found it so, so fascinating. So I think that that definitely changed things and also it pushed me to start talking also to, to, to academics from Brazil. And, and I met some really amazing people like uh, Ana Zuzina, for instance, that, that you, you, you're gonna have her in, in the podcast soon. And, 
And I think it, 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 it changed my research, but at the same time, I was wary of not fetishizing Latin America, you know? So I didn't want to become someone who only writes about Latin America. And then I, I, I once attended a conference um, in which Silvio Baisford was the, the main speaker. And, 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 and he talked about how quite often Latin American scholars only talk to other Latin Americans and how it was important also to, to take those conversations beyond the realm of only Latin Americans. And, and that's something that I, I found it very interesting and very inspiring, partly also because my academic career has only been in English and I struggle to write uh, academic works in Spanish. Uh, I, in fact, I, when sometimes I'm asked to give a seminar in Spanish, I struggle to find the right words because I've done everything in English. So I feel much more comfortable kind of like trying to speak to an audience that not necessarily knows about Latin America and also try to respond from a Latin American slash British viewpoint to things. And would you say that you are or identify yourself as a Latin American in the diaspora? Do you experience it like that, a diasporic condition? Yes and no. I think that I'm, I'm kind of like in a space in between. I remember once I, I, I watched an interview with uh, Pedro Aznar, the Argentinian musician, and he talked about his experience of living in, in Berkeley, where he studied there. And, and he talked about how over time, he realized that he was always going to be, um, I don't know how you pronounce it in English, a paria. Paraya. Paraya, probably. And, um, and, and I think that I don't live now in Latin America, so there are plenty of things that I'm missing. Like I've noticed that when, when, when talking to friends or when I visit Chile, that there's plenty of, even if I read in his papers and so on, there's plenty of popular culture or the atmosphere that I miss. But having said that, I'm never gonna become a British because there are also plenty of things that I don't get, I don't know, I'm always gonna have my accent. So it's kind of like that space in between. And that also happens a lot with them in, 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 in academia, you know? So sometimes when I talk to uh, Latin American colleagues, I talk about debates that are, 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 are very, uh kind of like um timely in in the uk and i think they're also timely in latin america and that's not the case but also happens the other way around sometimes i i i reference works or authors that are known in latin america and i think that everyone should know them also on this side of the world and that doesn't happen so probably i think i i, I need to come to to, uh, to 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 the realization and being peace with that that i'm always going to be in that imperfect space in between and perhaps try to come up with something interesting by, by being in that area. And from that, the, the, the position of being in that sort of space in between, isn't Latin America a fiction in essence, in the sense that um, what, are there things that unite Chile and Brazil, for instance, more than um, Chile and Spain or Brazil and Portugal, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
is it a convenient fiction? Is it a reality? What, what is the, if it is a reality, what is the, what are the limits of that reality to make sense of things? I mean, I think it's as real or as fictional as Asia or as Europe, you know, um, or sometimes even as the United States, to some extent, you know, and um, I feel that yes, we have a common history across countries. There is the especially the, the Spanish-speaking Latin America, um, and and there are some important reference in popular culture. People laugh about this, but it's amazing how much uh, El Chavo del Ocho has helped me to start conversations with, not only with Mexicans, but I can talk to Brazilians, to um, yeah, Argentinians, Colombians, etc. and we know the joke. So there is definitely some, some commonalities. But also, I, I remember once reading a paper by Jorge Gonzalez years ago about uh, cities. Uh, it's true that sometimes if you live in Santiago, you have much more in common with someone from Barcelona than someone who might live in the countryside of Chile. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, there's all these nuances and complexities that, that work at, at, at different levels. And, and I think that it's a fiction like Chile is a fiction, like the UK is a fiction, you know, uh, how much is a useful fiction? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings about that, you know? And, and uh, it's, it's the same thing when, when we separate South America, Central America, or, or the Southern Corn. Um, I mean, we need those fictions to, 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 to deal with complexity, but, uh, but sometimes I struggle with them. You know, it's, it's when we were talking earlier that how much of a Latin American I am, you know, and especially with the expectations of non-Latin Americans to be Latin American. You know, but they expect you to, to dance well, they expect you to like spicy food, you know, they expect you to love soap operas. And sometimes you don't fit with those categories, you know. But but again, sometimes I expect an English to love football or to drink tea at five, and that rarely happens. So absolutely. Um now you're finishing up at the LSC. Um were you convinced that you wanted uh, an academic career? Did you thought of alternatives outside of academia? Um, how was the process of becoming a professor sort of on a bureaucratic sense? Right? You had a couple of postdocs at Brunel and Loughborough, mm -hmm. then your current position at Cardiff. Walk us through a little bit of that experience in the British uh, yeah. the UK uh, market. So to, towards the end of the, of the PhD, I started to feel that I definitely wanted to give a shot to academia. I mean, while studying, you hear plenty of awful things like, oh, don't work, the salaries are bad. And, and yeah, there's plenty of truth on that. But I think that the fact that I studied journalism in Chile, in which the discourse is, is almost the same, kind of like psychologically prepared me and protected me for that. And, and, and also because, um, um, it, 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 the one uh, professional area that was open to receive me on this side of the world was academia. So if I wanted to start working in PR, journalism, or any other area, I had to start from scratch. And there were things that I was enjoying. I mean, there are plenty of things that are wrong with academia, um, but every now and then the feeling when you 
when 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 you could say something in a talk or in a conference or in a paper, it's it can be nice. And um, I, I I had a, a teaching job at Brunel for one year, which was kind of like to survive a little bit and, and start finding my feet. And then uh, at the end of my PhD, I met a wonderful professor at uh, at Loughborough, Savina Michel. Uh, she's from Slovenia, but she lives in, in the UK and and she's someone that I consider one of my mentors and guides. And, and she told me that there was a possibility of doing a one-year postdoc at Loughborough, focusing on research without teaching, just about writing and being guided by her. And, and, and that's an experience that I really, really enjoyed. And, and it was only a year. So at, at the end of the year, I, I needed to find a job, obviously. But during that year, I, I really had the chance to, to, to talk to her, to, to also talk to a different academic, academic because I, I so far I only knew the, the, the LSE, basically. I only knew people at the LSE. So it was good to go out, also to be out of London in a different environment. And, um, and at the end of that, there was an opening at Cardiff University and I applied uh, just in case and I ended up being, being offered the job. So that, that's where I am now. How has that been, um, being a professor now at Cardiff? It's, it's been very much learning on the job, you know? So you get the job and then you start on cold water, like you're thrown to cold water and, and from an administrative perspective, uh, if you're lucky, and in my case, I was lucky, there was this uh, colleague from Spain that very much took me under his wing and he's been guiding me and mentoring me and so on. But uh, it, it was very much a start teaching uh, sometimes about things that I didn't necessarily uh, was an expert, but but I had to become uh, a little bit of not necessarily an expert, but at least someone who was capable of teaching something and try to manage the, it's, it's kind of like becoming a juggler because you, you need to teach, but you also need to carry on producing research. And there's also the, the expectation of, of, of uh, administ administration that they, they need to do and publishing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's not easy, and, but I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by people who are not in academia too. I also remember my experience of not being in academia so that allows me to put some things in perspective. Again, there are plenty of things that are, are not right with academia. And I think that the, the, we work an insane number of hours and, and I think that the expectations are, are very high and, and some people in some environments can be a bit toxic, but, but, but I think it's also good to, to pay attention to things outside of academia. And also sometimes talking to, to colleagues who are in academia outside of, 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 the, of, of, of Europe, because then it's very easy to complain from here, but then you also see all the colleagues in other places who are, who, who are struggling much more. Again, that doesn't make things better here necessarily. And that's not a way of saying, oh, we just need to accept the way things are, but it puts things a little bit in, in perspective. But I think it's, 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 it's sometimes interesting when you become the Latin American and, and then if there is a visiting fellow whose area of research has nothing to do with yours, but he or she comes from Argentina or Peru, they put you as a mentor just because you are from the region, which uh, those uh, categories, those classifications that we were talking earlier are still present. 
to some extent there. Is that, would you say that that is in part your situation? You are the Latin American in your unit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there is another colleague uh, who's very talented, he's Italian, and he knows much more about Latin American than me. So he he is a real expert in, in Latin America, definitely. He and he speaks, he has lived in more countries there and so on, but it's 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 interesting how we're put in the same in the same box, uh, in my case, because of where I come from, and, and in his case, in his case is rightly so, because he's definitely an expert. But I really don't feel an expert in Latin America other than I come from there. So Right, 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 right. So um, you are also very active in, in uh, professional societies, you know, at ICA, in the Popular Communication Division. Um, what has been your experience there and has, is the fact that you are from Chile and that you study Latin America, um, is that sort of, uh, sort of affecting positive, negative, or in any possible way, your experience at ICA? Yeah, I think that my, the very first time I attended ICA, I felt totally lost. So I was a PhD student and there was an ICA in London. I didn't have anything to present. So I just went there to look at and try to meet people. And it felt really overwhelming. And I felt that, um, that basically nobody cared about me. So it was a very overwhelming and not necessarily a positive feeling. You know, even even meeting other Latin American professors, uh, it was really like it didn't feel very welcoming. I think that only years later, when I attended to the ICA in Washington DC, was the first time that I was starting to find my feet. Partly because I was starting to meet some people, um, um, but also because I, I had attended some smaller conferences in between, and I think that was very important to go to small conferences in which you are kind of like more or less meeting everyone. And that gave me a feeling of, of belonging. I, I think that that first ICA was very much that sensation of, I don't belong anywhere. I don't know who my people are here. And, and, and also it's because of that space in between that I occupy that we're talking earlier on. So I, uh, I don't necessarily fit, totally fit with the, not, not because of personal reasons, like from a purely professional perspective, like when there are panels only about Latin America, I don't always fit with them, but also I, I don't feel totally comfortable when, when I'm put in the Global South panel. So it's, 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 it's finding that, that kind of like space in between. And, and, and also because it's, when sometimes you're put in the Latin American section, the Global South section, very, most of the time those are barely attended uh, panels, you know, and it's kind of like a, a niche interest. And deep down, I think most of us don't, don't want to talk to more people and uh, also beyond our interests. So I think it's, it's been a process of, of finding my feet, trying to find my people. And, 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 and I think perhaps the, the, the most difficult thing is trying to overcome the, the imposter syndrome, you know, especially because you arrive there and there are plenty of people doing amazing research, uh, doing things with machine learning and so on. And, and then sometimes you're like, gosh, I'm, I'm just going to present my humble paper and I'm not sure if I have anything to say. And, and, and also when you start, uh, especially in ICA, when people carry the badges with names, 
and you start seeing names of plenty of people that you have read and that you admire and their ideas and so on and it's and you feel no i'm not going to ask that person anything because he or she's going to think that i'm very stupid so i think that that's something really really tough but but having said that like from a perspective of latin american as an observer i'm very very happy when i start seeing more and more people from latin america and based in latin american universities that are becoming notorious in those conferences so i think like for instance like people like Ingrid Bachmann or Sebastián Valenzuela that I know from Chile, they're doing amazing work. I really admire what they're doing and they're writing from Chile, but for a global audience. And, and I think that's fantastic. The same thing, I love what in Brazil, Alfonso Gelburquerque is doing that. He writes things in the, that are published in the Journal of Communication and he's from Brazil and, and once attended a talk that he gave and he said, yeah, I'm global from Brazil. And, and and that's really good because not so long ago you have to you could be a Latin American but you have to be based in the United States or in Western Europe to to have some attention. So I think that that's definitely a positive development. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So on that note, then, if you had magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies to change, what would you wish for? I wish we could all speak all and read all languages. That would be so amazing because um, uh, it's the more you start meeting people, not only from Latin America, but from other places, like you, you really want to read and, and engage with discussions that are happening somewhere else. Like um, I don't read French, for instance, but when talking to people who are working in the French academia, sometimes there, there are amazing discussions that we have no idea about. And, and sometimes I download a paper and I guess a little bit what it means because of its closeness to Spanish, but I would love to read what's happening there. And, and also with other languages. So, I, I wish it, it was much easier that we had the superpower to learn languages uh, immediately and, and to read and engage with conversations and, 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 and have access to, to more viewpoints to the ones that, that we have. Right, thank you very much, Cesar, for sharing your wonderful ideas and your experience with us. Thank you to the listeners for staying with us through the end and I want to invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Once again, thank you very much, Cesar. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thanks very much. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.